And we are back with yet another super thrilling edition of On Stage, Off Stage. My name is George Sapio, and today we are privileged and proud as all get out to welcome Marta Hoffman, scenic designer and artist, um, well known in the Ithaca area. She graduated in 2009 with a BA from the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. I'm going to have to ask her where that was, probably Scotland. She specialized in scenic art, props, and set design. She's done all sorts of productions, from uh, black box performances to full-scale operas. That's on the asking list, too. As well as some uh, work in film and television. She graduated from uh, the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, and she became the junior designer at the homeware brand Mackenzie Childs. And as the junior designer, she got to travel to all these wonderful places like Thailand, China, India, Indonesia as a design executor. And since that didn't fill up her time, she worked with local theater companies such as the Ithaca Shakespeare, Running to Places, Actors Workshop of Ithaca, and Cornell's Melodramatics. Currently, she just ended a gig as the 2013 Scenic Design Fellow at the Hangar Theater where she was responsible for everything. Well, actually, the nine shows involved in the Wedge and Kid Stuff seasons, as well as serving as the assistant designer on the main stage productions of 4,000 Miles and Clyburn Park. She is currently pursuing her MFA in scenic design at Boston University. Welcome to On Stage, Off Stage, Marta Hoffman. Hi, George. How are you? Uh, so far, I'm doing pretty good. Okay, so we know you as... Scenic designer, set designer, all-around theater person. And yet I see in here homeware designer for Mackenzie Childs. Okay, so what is it like designing homeware? And exactly what is homeware? Uh, homeware uh, consists of anything from plates to furniture, basically anything that you would put in your home, as the uh, name would suggest. It's working for a brand like Mackenzie Childs, is very different in the design world because it exists of like a, li a limited vocabulary of patterns and um, things that are like intrinsically important to that brand. Mackenzie Child is famous for their courtly check patterns and their incredibly diverse color arrangements and you sort of have to exist within that when you're uh, designing for them or prototyping for them and you have to keep all of their brand identity foremost in mind. There's there's like very little of the personal in there. So you're working with a, a fixed frame set of ideas, logos. Where do you get any kind of artistic freedom, or do you get any kind of artistic freedom? Do you actually design pieces themselves, or, I mean, is there something I could walk in there and say, oh, Marta did this? Well, like I said, um, well, I, also as the junior designer, I had absolutely no say in like the the, the larger silhouettes of anything. Um, basically, I executed. I, I would do drafting for them. I would um, I would uh, prototype furniture. That was mostly where my my purview was, just because I am a painter, and that's something that they found that I was uh, capable at. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, obviously, they felt you were capable enough to send you clear around the world as a design executor. And she's cracking up over this. Explain to me, what is a design executor and why did they send you to Thailand? 
Well, anything that's outsourced uh, or made in a factory abroad uh, require. I mean, to control um, the the brand's uh, identity and to protect the the image, you need somebody who knows that to to check in on things, basically. And so I I would travel to visit factories and. Um, sometimes I would be working on new products, new patterns, um, and we'd bring them back with us, see how we liked them. Um, and sometimes I would just be checking in on existing products and seeing if their you know, quality control was up to scratch. Okay, so you, you were basically acting as sort of like the Mackenzie Childs overseas police officer, making sure that things were being done the right way and nobody was sticking Hello Kitty symbols into you know, like the plates or things like that. Well, the occasional Hello Kitty symbol. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like Hello Kitty. You know, I've I've got three sets of PJs in Hello Kitty. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's accurate. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> okay. What was the first show you designed? Uh, as an undergrad, um, I, I actually focused most of my attention on uh, film design and and um, film art department. The first theatrical set that I designed was A Midsummer Night's Dream, um, the first realized production. Before that, like we did educational like product, um, like non-realized designs in Waiting for Godot and things like that. But Midsummer sort of went with my thesis, which was uh, green theater and ecologically friendly theater. And we tried to realize Midsummer Night's Dream in that way. So, all right, green theater, ecologically friendly theater. Mm-hmm. Explain. <laughs> Basically, Be- uh, because this is Ithaca. <laughs> it's true. Um, green theater being a theater that's responsible in terms of what it's using, what it is disposing of, um, the products it's using, like low VOC paints, um, products in props that aren't toxic to humans. I mean. There's there's products that we put on stage in the mainstream that off gas for, for I mean if, if something's just been painted it could be off gassing for like three days after we put it on stage and just making sure that everybody is safe and and also that we're recycling things and and being responsible and I mean there's so much waste like theater is a, an incredibly temporal industry you know a show runs for a week. And then we throw it out. You know, it's in a dumpster. Right. Right. And um, there have to be ways to avoid that. And, I mean, there, there have been places that have, that have attempted it. Like, there are theater cooperatives that, uh, li- like, a bunch of theaters in one city will combine their resources for their basic, uh, like, scenery structures, like revolves and flats, and then you're not reinventing the wall, sorry, reinventing the wheel every time. Or the wall, whichever, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess a flat's a wall. (laughs) We just reinvented the ceiling. (laughs) Reinventing the ceiling every time. Which also, I mean, it it lends itself uh, to... To, you, you can spend your budgets in other places. You're not um, you're not working from the ground up all the time. Is this a trend that that theaters are starting to become aware of uh, and adopt? I mean, it's even going down to not just recycling revolves and things like that, or or um, but the low VOC paints or non PVC kind of structures. Is 
Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, even on Broadway right now, there's green theater captains who are assigned to most shows, and people are trying to be responsible. The uh, There's a theater in London called, I think, the Arcola, I could be lying, um, which uh, has a mission to become carbon neutral um, by a certain year in the near future. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's it, it's, it's important to think about because our resources are limited and theater people can't, like, ignore what what we what we use and what we throw away yeah no it makes absolutely from set to set and from show to show we go through so many things and we end up repainting this and repainting that and so much stuff does get thrown away i I remember one of the first theaters i worked at we were dismantling a set and i was trying to keep the screws and the the stage manager was basically just throw those out i was like are you insane we could use these all right, fine. And he, and he gave me a look and just walked away. And I could not believe that there was this much wastage going on. It was it, it was criminal. And there's and even if I mean in some larger theaters they won't want you to reuse screws because you know the head strip and you can't you know. However, there's there's other ways to get around that. There's companies that will recycle them. They'll smelt them and mm. and make them into new things. And I mean everything. Everything like that is important to be cognizant of. As a kid, what kind of art did you do? I mean, how did you get into art? I was really good at finger painting, watercolor. (laughs) 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 It's actually something that I came to fairly late. Um, I I went to, I I had intended to study lighting design as an undergrad. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd taken, like, art classes all through high school, and I'd always... Uh, I, I, like I'd done scene painting in high school and um, things like that, but it wasn't until I, t- I I started taking scene design classes as an undergrad that I found that I had an affinity for environments and like what that entailed and what what is involved in that. Was there one set somewhere along the line that just clicked with you that you you looked at and couldn't take your eyes away from and totally ignored the show that was going on underneath it? <laughs> That's not a very good set design. <laughs> um, I actually, I saw Major Barbara at the Shaw Festival when I was, I think, in the 11th grade. And it was, it, like, the, the entire design, not just the set design, like, all of the elements just played so well together um, and, and, and just really helped the story and helped the action and was so touching I, I mean, that was that was the moment that I, I decided to apply to school for theater, and I I think that was that that would be. <laughs> you just finished a gig working for the Hangar over the summer as their uh, scenic design fellow, and the details you gave me this this looks like I don't know either either theater heaven or theater hell depending upon I guess which day you look at it. <laughs> right, nine shows, some for the wedge, some for kids stuff. Mm-hmm. And two shows for the main stage. Now, you're a designer. You've got a crew that you work with. Tell me, I mean, t- tell us something. What, is, what does this involve? I mean, nine shows plus two. I mean, that seems like an awful load for such a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, all of this was accomplished in about 12 weeks as well. So if you Ouch. if you add that up, you know, that's the nine shows that we design, plus uh, scenic and costumes assisted on two main stage, but lights and sound assisted on four. So that's between 11 and 13 shows, depending on how you cut right. it. 
and in 12 weeks that's you know that's the the pace is incredible and it's c completely immersive and a really exciting program i mean i that's i i knew all of this going in that it was going to be um hard <laughs> we we say a challenge oh that's the one a challenge <laughs> Um, but it, it's it was incredibly exciting. It's it's not something. I mean, coming from an educational setting too, where you have you know between two and three months to to realize a production and focus on one design, uh, throwing out a design a week is uh, a, and a, a fully realized design and a fully. How do you do that? I mean, it, it's these things take time. It, it's for most designers to come up with something in a week, it, it, they pull their hair out. It was an exercise in trusting yourself, definitely. Um, I, I think sometimes the longer processes, which are wonderful for conversation and, um, and the creative process and so beneficial, allow time for you to second guess yourself and to over-intellectualize and, and not know when to stop. Mm. And the definitely this program makes you trust your decisions because there's no time to change them and um, it, it forces you to make really visceral decisions which I think is, is important um, yeah we're uh, in case you just tuned in this is on stage off stage I'm George Sapio and we are talking with scenic designer Marta Hoffman um, okay so clarifying for our audience we're talking about working at the Hangar Theater in Ithaca New York and the summer program well, this their summer season, which is the main stage, and they have five shows. The main stage has uh, four shows this year. They used to have five. Okay, and a series called The Wedge, and a series called Kid Stuff. What exactly is The Wedge, and where is that performed? Because it used to be actually be in a wedge. They don't have the wedge no mo. Where is it? <laughs> this is true. Um, it's been sort of a um, nomadic program for I think the, fa the past couple of years since uh, the wedge itself disappeared. Um, but the wedge is, I mean, to back up, there are four drama league directors who are selected for each season and each one of them writes a proposal for a show. And um, the wedge is, is those shows. Uh -huh. um, and they're an opportunity, basically they're a laboratory in which you can do something really experimental and succeed or fail and they allow you to take risks and it's it's a really special program that not many theaters have and I applaud the hangar for giving us that room. I know from from previous experience with the hangar that it is a remarkable program that does take vigorous youth and lots of brand new ideas and a lot of risks. I remember uh, seeing things that still stick in my mind, in, including a production of The Tempest, where something extremely painful was being done with the mast from the ship. And, <laughs> I, yeah, and uh, other crazy, bizarre things that normal, regular stage theaters just wouldn't produce because they were too avant-garde, to, they took too many chances. So you're a designer, and you're supposed to design these shows? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Affirmative. Affirmative. <laughs> We're on the right track here. When do you get these scripts, and what's the process like for achieving a unity between yourself and the forces that be, or the director, and who else? So this was possibly the most terrifying part of the entire summer, because we 
did not get the scripts. Oh often. boy. <laughs> often. Um, the the first. I think I've worked with these people before. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them are devised pieces, and so a lot of the discovery happens in the rehearsal room, um, which is terrifying as a designer because we don't know what's going to happen, um, and we'd be going off of a a framework. Um, and we, we have to design around that framework and, and, and hope at some level that everything stays cohesive. And I mean, the way that we can, we can enforce that cohesion as designers is to often be in the rehearsal room and see what's happening and evolve with the process. But with the season being right. what it is right. and, um, you know, draftings needing to be done and all of these other shows going on at the same time, um, it, it didn't always lend itself to that. I'm going to be judgmental here with successes and failures. Um, how do you think you guys did over the course of the summer when it came to realizing the unity for the shows? Were the risks, did they supermount the experience? <laughs> no. Um, well, I think also the, the, the first two shows of the season, both Kid Stuff and Wedge, we were still learning each other, right. and we were still learning how to communicate with each other and and with each of the directors, which is sometimes the hardest part of the collaborative process. So, were, were, were there disagreements? I mean, did you did you guys find a way to get a vision between the two of you, or were there you know were there times when a vision just didn't seem to happen? There's there's always friction, um, especially when you're working with somebody for the first time. The hope is that the more often that you work with somebody, you have that vocabulary established, and you can um, you can sort of work off of what you've already done. And one of the exciting aspects of the summer is that you get to work with each of these directors twice. So right. where you might have trouble the first time, hopefully by the second time, sure. you, you you know where you failed. And and certainly there were failures. Um, and and often they were on our part, on on the designers' parts of um, not finding a cohesion and not communicating in the directors with, with the directors in a way that was either clear enough or or just. Well, I mean, what, what seems, considering the time restrictions that you have mm -hmm. and the normal time that it takes for a process like this to evolve, and these processes do take time. Mm -hmm to evolve. You don't just, if, let's put it this way, if I was going to stick a goofy name on it, it would be extreme theater, you know, like extreme mm -hmm. sports, mm -hmm. you know, riding, driving a dune buggy out of a B-52 <laughs> and, you know, 73,000 feet or something like that. Um, but it seems like an awful lot of work in an unbelievably short period of time. And I know we've thrown the word failure around a couple of times, and I, every time we've said it, I've winced because I hate the concept of saying you succeeded or you failed mm -hmm. and it's a question of realizing something and, and and to do something in this short period of time and to find a communication I'm thinking it's not just the individual shows as per se but it's the entire rack of shows that you're working with these people over the summer that the process is not the show itself but the process is the entire process mm -hmm. of shows um coming out of a gig like this there must be things that are ran, you know, running around in your brain and that you must have learned picked up, gotten more experience with I mean of course um, and, and communication is like foremost on that list I think what, what have you learned about communication? I mean have you learned new verbiage, a different way of uh, finding out what somebody else is talking about? 
Well, communication isn't always, especially in theater, because we're not, and we, we are a medium that's based in words, but we're also, like, a show is, a, a play is a visual art as well. And as such, communication isn't always verbal. Like, words can be weak, and um, some sometimes your collaborators and your director need to to be able to feel something and see something and 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 that is i mean that's the fastest sometimes that's faster than talking and over intellectualizing and you just need to produce something physical for everybody to be able to get a, an overall feeling of the environment the space that you're all trying to create together i mean that makes perfect sense i mean theater is not just it's not books on tape right. it's not somebody talking to you you walk into a theater and you see a set you see costumes you see the entire ambiance of all the things that all these people have you know worked laboriously to produce and even before the curtain even before the first word is spoken you've already affixed an idea in your head as an art, as as a theater goer audience member of what the show is or what the show is trying to say you might not have the words for it but your body your mind and your spirit also know this kind of thing so when you're trying to communicate with your director let's say via sketches via uh, sound via uh, props ideas what sketches are always I mean and this summer sketches were the most useful tool that I had because model boxes are something that designers usually produce mm -hmm. in this in this environment they're not something that uh, is possible and I mean model boxes are wonderful because you're you're talking about 3d space and everybody can then get into them the lighting designer can even take it in some they have they make like model rigs for lighting designers that they can set up and and light and you can you can like feel it together as a group but um, yes sketches and and sometimes like little pieces of art are important pieces that um, like make a sculpture something that that you feel captures the essence of the show and also um, something that uh, we did on one show in particular with Two Wings uh, was we visited a, a space in which we thought that we could hear the play and that was the essence like that space was what we were trying to capture right. we went to the Sapsucker Woods and we came back and yeah. but like reading the play together in a space uh -huh. that is that is what you are hoping to achieve and, 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 and what the story sort of requires um, it is a is a really informative and sort of transformational process. But you also did kid stuff, and your audience for kid stuff are very small human <laughs> beings um, with very simple needs. And your job is to entertain them, and your job is to tell them a story, and your job is to put theater into their lives. Yes, this is subliminal, um, <laughs> but what's the difference in your job? for doing this for small children as opposed to you know older folks with supposedly higher thinking patterns well um children don't understand subtlety so what we what we really need to concentrate on when making children's theater is absolute clarity and absolute storytelling and I mean that's that's sort of the crux. I mean that should be the crux of any design process. But it's so imperative because you can. I mean, children are amazing because you can tell when they when they hate or don't understand something. I mean they start oh, squirming yeah. in their oh, seats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I sort of, I have an unfortunate or fortunate habit of watching plays through watching other people. And um, like watching, watching the children absorb these, th these texts was um, incredibly informative because you could tell exactly what works and exactly what doesn't. And uh, that's really important. And children's theater too, um, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's so vital because it's, it's an exercise in empathy, you know, for that, that's, that's what children, I mean, that's what theater is, but um, it, it trains us from a young age to listen and to feel, and you're in a room with these, these characters and these stories, and it makes you do something that nothing else does. Mm. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's a gym for our emotions. Well, I mean, uh, f for me, I have, I have an aesthetic that tends to be um, minimalist and very organic. And if I if I had gone into with two wings, which is a retelling of the, a retelling of the Icarus myth, mm -hmm. um, and and put in huge, like marble columns that were supposed to be trees, I, I mean, not a single child in that space would have would have gotten it, or would it even? I mean, upon reflection, I mean that wouldn't even have been um, appropriate. But uh, I mean, yeah, there's always a danger of over designing, and it just it, it means. I mean, it's it's really imperative that you keep circling back to the story and what is what is going to make the story clear because the text is at the core of 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 this oh absolutely this, yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah of this thing that you're putting up and you need to make sure that the 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 story and the design and all of these things are playing together in a way that is is cohesive and just. I mean, I say it again, absolute clarity. One of the major, if not the major influence for kids, how they get their information, how they're entertained is through TV and through videos. Mm -hmm. As a designer of live theater, is there something in the back of your head that either consciously or subconsciously focuses you on trying to maybe emulate the behavior of TV in order to grab and keep the kids' attention. I mean that 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 sounds like a staging question. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it is partially a staging question, yeah. but um, I've I've seen teachers who basically say, unless you animate this, the kids aren't going to mm. all right uh, pay attention to this. So designing a set is one thing, you know, for adults. Do you have to juice up the set, all right, or is there an urge in there? within the designer's mind or soul mm -hmm. to do this in order to, you know, take the easy road, make, make sure it happens, you know, mm -hmm. score a hit. I think there, there's a certain flavor of children's theater that definitely, I mean, is that way. Like, it's, it's um, sort of cartoonish and, you know, block colors. We've all seen it, like huge, like, cardboard cutouts, things that are more... 2D, I, I think this is where you're going. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that that's not giving the audience enough credit. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I think, no, you don't have to make th children's theater that way. You can make, you can make it, I, I mean, again, as long as the story is being told. And we didn't do a single show with the exception of The Wiz that way this summer. Everything, I mean, I think was fairly sophisticated in its aesthetic, 
but had a playfulness to it. And I, I mean, the playfulness is obviously crucial because we are we are trying right. to to uh, appeal to uh, and give surprises. And that's I mean, that's that's also part of the joy of doing children's theater because you you do shadow puppets and you hear gasps and you you do drops from the ceiling and you you you, you know you see their faces light up. I, mean, I love shadow puppets. <laughs> I don't see enough shadow puppets in theater. I want to see more shadow puppets in theater. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we've kind of reached the end of our time here, and I know everybody out there is just dying to see what it is that you do. And since we all can't keep running to the shows that you're doing, because you're in Boston, you know, and. and um, you have a website with, with, with pictures of your fantastic work up there? I do. Um, <laughs> it is a Weebly website. I believe the web... I'm sorry, a what? A Weebly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, she did say Weebly on the air. <laughs> I believe the address is mhoffmanscenic.weebly.com. Okay. Marta Hoffman, thank you so very much for being our guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, and good luck with your MFA. <laughs> Thank you, George.